John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the, foot, at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Children of snakes is the way that I typically was introduced to the work of John the Baptist. Now, maybe that says something about the preachers I had growing up, that they really liked to emphasize that the congregation was children of snakes or a brood of vipers, as one may have heard it translated. John the Baptist, after all, was the stern one, we learned, preparing the way for the graciousness of Jesus. He was like the bad cop coming in first before the good one came. He was the hellfire and brimstone preacher, berating one and all who came to him, is what I grew up understanding. Except for this, John's name means the Lord is gracious. John is opening this baptism to all, not just to a certain class of people. And the people are then prepared to receive the Lord who is coming. So, is John really the prophet of doom and gloom? John is introduced as a prophet like many Old Testament prophets who came before him, right? The first thing we learn about is in the days of whatever ruler was in place. And I didn't use a guest reader today to read that text because that's the kind that you hate. Uh, we had... In the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias was governor, right? So it's all those fun words. And we learn about the place and the setting of where John the Baptist was. And then in that prophetic formula that often got used to describe when a prophet was going to do their work, it says, first, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to the prophet, in this case, to John the Baptist, son of Zechariah, in this case, and then where they were preaching. In this case, 
in the wilderness. In the wilderness or in the desert. Now, it's important that we understand that John was preaching in the wilderness. This is not just a location description for us when it happens in the Bible, even though it is describing where John was. John was at the Jordan River, probably near where the Dead Sea was, a couple days walk from Jerusalem, maybe, a, maybe three or more days. Uh, and it was quite rocky and very sparse landwise out there. It was truly the desert. You had to go out of your way to go there. But it was not just a location description because in scripture, in scripture, the desert represents for the people a return to God. This is where the people of Israel were formed when they spent 40 years in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt. This is where they became a covenant people. It was through the Jordan, in fact, where they would enter into the promised land. And what are the people doing when they are out in the desert? Well, we know they were getting baptized. It says, John went throughout the region of the Jordan River calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives. To show that they were changing their hearts and lives. This, this word, change your hearts and lives, is how the Common English Bible translates the word repent or repentance. Now, I think these words, change your hearts and lives, are a more full definition and probably even a better one than just the word repent. Because I think oftentimes we put the word repentance and we lump it in the same place as the word confession. And we use those two words kind of interchangeably, blend them together. But these words need to be separate in our understanding not only of what John the Baptist is saying, but in our understanding of how we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus. It's essentially a two-stage operation. Confession is stating that I am sorry for what I have done wrong. It is feeling the guilt and the weight of that reality of what I have done. Every week we have a period of confession before we prepare to come to the table. We recognize that none of us are worthy to come to Christ's table, and yet he offers us forgiveness. Repentance is doing something about it. In fact, that's the simplest definition that you might that you might get. Repentance means living differently. It's showing that you are changing. It literally begins in Greek with the word meta, right? M-E-T-A, which essentially means change. Metamorphosis is, means to change, right? To adapt. Meta plus mind is what is actually the word in the Greek. It means changing our mind, changing our point of view, changing the way we operate. So repent means to think differently. Literally to turn around. In the early church, the baptismal candidates would have been trained throughout the, throughout the 40 days of Lent to be prepared for baptism on Easter. And when they were baptized, they would face away from the cross that was always to the east in the church, saying that they were not worthy of that. And then when they said that they repented of their sin and rejected evil, they would literally turn and face eastward in the sanctuary, symbolizing that they were turning their lives around in that place. Confession without repentance is wallowing. It is self-pity. It is saying, oh, I just feel so bad about that. When our children do this, we tell them to do it better 
next time, right? I don't want to just hear that you're sorry. Change what you do. What we're saying is repent. Change. Do it differently. Learn from your mistake. So the marks of John's baptism are seen in Isaiah 40 that gets quoted here in this text. The first one is this. It's preparation. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be leveled, the crooked will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. In other words, the repentant are going to be able to receive the kingdom that Jesus comes to proclaim. Their way has been made straight and flat. It is not mountainous and treacherous anymore. There aren't forks in the road anymore. They will be able to receive the kingdom. And the second mark of this baptism is this. It is open to all. Luke includes that next verse in Isaiah that says, All humanity will see God's salvation. All humanity, not just the people of Israel, not just the ones chosen, but rather it says that John went throughout the entire region calling people, beckoning them, welcoming them. This has been God's plan all along. John's baptism is not exclusive, it is inclusive to all, not just to Israel, thank the Lord, but to all. So the harsh words of John are one thing, right? This is serious business, this is preparation, but it is open to all people, and the repentance, the changing, is what is essential, John then goes on to say this to the people. Produce fruit that shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. In other words, he says, hey, be baptized. Be baptized to show that you're changing your hearts and lives. And after that baptism, after you're brought under the water and cleansed, he says, then produce fruit that shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. John is saying this ritual alone doesn't save you. True repentance is showed and made made real by ethical reform, a changing of your hearts and lives. Friends, we might say coming to church doesn't save you. Participating in the sacrament doesn't save you. Praying a prayer of salvation one time doesn't save you. The way to know that you are saved, that you are changed, is if there is change. If there is fruit, and for John the Baptist, those fruits are fruits of economics, of compassion and action. They aren't nebulous ideas like, well, I think nicer about people now. No, they are tangible changes made in our lives. These changes, these fruits, are more than just words. So when these three groups of people come and ask John the Baptist, They all ask him, what then shall we do? Like, what's the fruit look like, John? Am am I supposed to become an apple after I'm baptized? No, no, he's saying, so the crowds come. They say, what should we do? And what does John give them? He gives them an answer about how they should share, right? He says, anyone who's got two shirts, give someone your other one. And if they have food to spare, give that to them. To the whole crowd, that's his word. Then the tax collectors come to him. They ask him the same thing. Well, what then should we do? 
He says, stop cheating people. First of all, it's amazing that the tax collectors are coming to John in the wilderness to be baptized. But then he says, listen, just take what you're supposed to take. Don't skim any off the top, which was the practice in that time. Then who comes to him next? The soldiers, the Roman soldiers are coming to this Jew in the wilderness, coming for a baptism. And what does he tell them? He says, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. All of these are about not living a life of greed and accumulation of stuff and instead looking out with concern for our neighbor. That is fruit of repentance, he says. Friends, this is built into the common life of the early church. When we read in Acts 2 and Acts 4 about their life together, we learn that the community was sharing with one another. We learn that they were looking out for one another. We hear reports later on in the life of the early church that said, see how they love each other, how they care for one another. Friends, that is the fruit of repentance. The opposite of the fruit of repentance, I would argue, is ignoring is apathy, is complacency. There's this man at the corner of an intersection that I drive by once or twice a week. And this, you, I mean, we see people at intersections often around town, but this man always catches my eye in a, in a certain way because he is bent over like 90 degrees all of the time. He's got to be around 60 years old. And and to see someone who is in that much obvious pain, it, it breaks my heart every time I drive by. Do I know how to fix the problem for the guy? No, I don't. Do I hand him money? No, I, I, I don't. Should I help him more? Probably, and that's a whole question of how my ethical reform and fruits of repentance are. But here's what I do know, y'all. The second that it doesn't bother me when I see that man is the day the fruit's gone. The day that that man bent over that child of God does not upset me the fact that he doesn't have the care he needs, the fact that whatever he is going through and has gone through, God knows what. That does, the day that doesn't bother me, I shouldn't just stop the ministry altogether. I should stop calling myself a follower of Jesus Christ on that day. There are no exemptions and no excuses, John the Baptist says. Right? So he says, don't even dare to think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father, right? He says, you don't get an exemption from this life of repentance and changing just because you had the right daddy or something like that, right? He's saying, no, this applies to all of us because repentance is matched by integrity. In other words, we do what we say. This is the importance for us of analyzing our motives and slowing down enough to reflect on our lives. I've talked before about this Ignatian examine as a practice that we can participate in. And it essentially means that at the end of the day, you think through it and you think about where God showed up in your day and you, and, and you reflect on it. Maybe that means that sometimes at the end of the day, we need to journal a little bit or think about our day as opposed to scrolling through junk on our phone before we go to bed. Repentance is displayed by integrity. And that requires intentionality. 
It requires that we don't just go through our lives in a non-reflective fashion. I think that's what John the Baptist wants us to reflect on. I also think that that's what Advent is for. That is the preparation. That there's intentionally a period to reflect. I think a lot of us grew up with the wrong impression about John the Baptist. His message is actually full of grace. You and I need to turn around. Someone has to tell us. So if that means we're called children of snakes to do it, so be it. Friends, I want these fruits of repentance, the results of a changed life, to be known through my life. Don't you? We cannot do these things alone. They are fruits of the Spirit. But what we can do is provide space for God to do God's work in and through us. And we can slow down and look over our lives to honestly confess those spaces where we know that we desperately need God to change us. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we don't want to come with empty confession. When we come to that period in worship later, we don't want to come with confessions that end up ringing hollow because they aren't followed up with repentance. Lord, what I know in following you for more and more years of my life is that the deeper I go into a walk with you, the more complexity you show me about where I need to repent. The more spaces where I see that you are requiring and asking for a change heart and life. And God, it's not something that we muster by our own effort. Instead, we allow you in. We allow you to come and to change us. So Lord, help us to remember that in our baptism, that we turn away. That we turn away from sinfulness. We turn away from selfishness and greed, from apathy and indifference, from injustice. And we turn towards you, the giver of grace, the giver of compassion, the giver of justice. And we ask that you would work those things, those fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in and through our hearts and lives, not just this coming week, but all through our lives with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.